If you have your Bible, join me in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. What a blessing that was. So Brother Brian was over here playing on his cello, and it was kind of interesting to watch folks on this side because they were all staring at him. So I could see everybody watching him over here. And then we had Aiden was playing French horn, piccolo. Is that what? Okay. And then we had uh, the trumpet by Brother David, and then we had two clarinets up here on the other side, the organ, the keyboard, the piano. So just a wonderful blessing this morning to have everybody involved in different ways. And for those that are visiting, uh, we certainly appreciate you being here. I know we have some family in for baby dedication, but I also want to say hi to Mrs. Weber. It's so good to see you, and we're so glad that you're here, and Dawn, you're able to be here today, so we appreciate seeing you. What a blessing that is. One of the things that we can forget is for those that are at the highest risk during COVID, that isolation can become a very real concern. And it's much more difficult for those that are elderly and who are at higher risk to get out. And so I'm so grateful to be able to get to see some of those folks from time to time and just encourage you to make sure you stay in contact with people in our church who aren't able to get out. When we come to Daniel chapter 1, we're taking a little bit of a break from our series here and just focusing this morning as we were looking at child dedication. As I mentioned, really genuinely, Child dedication, we don't believe in anything that a church can do for a child will get a child to heaven one day. What we can do as a church is present the gospel of Jesus Christ, and for individuals who accept and trust in Jesus Christ, then they will spend eternity with God in heaven one day. That faith and trust in Christ is a personal decision. That is a decision that a person must come to at a point in their life. If we believe, we are not condemned. Whosoever believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So a child, as an infant like many were, aren't able to make a conscious decision in whether to accept or reject Christ at this point in life. But we believe in a principle called the age of accountability. Now, I'm not going to dive into that this morning particularly and why we do believe in that. But the age of accountability is not a set age. It's not when they turn. And there are some religions that would say when a child turns this age, then they make a decision about whether they want to go to heaven or not. We don't believe that it's an age because there would be some that due to mental capacity may never in their lifetime be able to understand that there is a punishment for sin. And because of that, we believe that God's grace is there and is understanding that they are unable to make a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So when a child comes to a place to where they recognize that they're a sinner, that there was a payment for their sin in the death of Christ on on the cross, they have to accept or reject Jesus Christ. You say, well, what age is that? Well, I think that age can vary. I think it can vary depending on different issues, part of what they have been taught, Part of what their ability to understand is. Uh, I believe that for many who are brought up in church, that their age of accountability, if you will, would be a bit earlier because they would come to a place to where they understand right and wrong earlier. And so for me, that happened when I was five years old that I began to understand that. Now, could my understanding been before that? Probably so. Um, But when I recognized and I accepted Christ as my Savior, I was five years old. I have known children as young as three to come to that place. I don't think that that is very common, but I have known children to come to a, a place young, as young as three years old to which they understood their need for a Savior. 
So our desire as a church is to present the gospel and to help children begin to understand so they can make that decision for themselves. This morning, nothing we did is going to make it so that any of those kids go to heaven one day. It will come down to when they choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ. It's a personal decision that I cannot make for them. Two of those kids were mine. I wish I could make it for them. But it's a decision they have to make for themselves. As a parent, my goal, my job, my responsibility is to create an environment for my children so that it becomes natural and desirous for them to want to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I work towards that end. But more than that is I want them to trust in Christ early, but I want them to have an understanding of biblical truth, and I want them to live for Christ all the days of their life. That takes work. It it, it takes a lot of effort pouring into children to help them get so grounded in biblical truth that that's all they want for their life. As a parent, there are certain things that you fear. There are fears that I have from a spiritual realm, that that is true. There are other fears that I have that are not spiritual per se in nature. My kids will ask me, Daddy, what are you afraid of? Honestly, there's not too many things in life that I I live in fear of. I, I mean, it's just not my nature. There are a couple of things that I live with a constant mental, I don't want this to happen. One, I don't know why this is. I live with a, a reasonable amount of fear of backing over a child in a car. I, I don't know why that's ingrained in me, but I can almost become violent with my kids when I have to move a car even to wash it. You stand right there where I can see you the whole time because for whatever reason, I, I live in fear of that. I don't really live in fear of this, but it is something as a parent that I don't ever want to see happen. I don't ever want one of my kids to be taken. And because of that, there are natural concerns that I have. The other night, our next door neighbor, I sent my kids over to bring our neighbor something. So I sent them over. I'm not sure, this is just timing of all timing. I send them out the door over to drop something off. So the three older ones, they head over. I'm finishing up washing something, Kara's gone. I then go to walk out just to check on them walking around. This is, you know, not far at all. You're talking 20 feet from my house. But I walk out. About the time I walk out, they have gotten on the porch, and they're now far enough up I can't see them on our neighbor's porch. And here goes a white panel van driving off. Yes, okay, so parents, you know, I'm not the only one. I'm like, I'm like trying to get the license plate of this van just in case my kids aren't on that porch, you know. And, and you just have certain trepidation. Now, Brother Sammy is our Spanish pastor. Uh, Brother Sammy was also in the Marines. And so one day he posted something on Facebook, and I kind of had to chuckle and laugh, and then I kind of had to agree at some level. I'm not saying this is spiritual, so please understand. I'm just saying I understand his pain here. He said, touch my kid, I will kill you dead, and smile at the sentencing. I go, you know what? I kind of, I, I can live with that. I, I'm not completely against that. So there are certain things that you just go, I can't imagine that ever happening. And you can't imagine it happening for multiple reasons. But one of them is, is what does the rest of their life turn out like? When we come to Daniel chapter 1, that's exactly what has happened. 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. He goes and he encircles the city. Verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar encompasses the city, starves them out, if you will. Then he takes the children out of the city. History tells us this happened probably three different times. And over the course of time, we don't know how many children were taken. All things being equal, it was more than a few. Some would say hundreds. Most believe that we were more than the thousands of children that were taken out and brought in to now Babylon to be trained in the way of the Chaldeans. As a parent, worse fear has happened. But now, think about the very reason behind it. So these children were not taken to be hurt. Well, as a parent, that has to be consolation, that your kid was not taken to be hurt. But they're taken to be brainwashed. They're taken by a pagan king. A king who would later have a statue built for his own glory. And if you didn't bow down and worship him, you would be then sentenced to death. This is a man who was wicked to his core when it comes in the way of godlessness. Nebuchadnezzar stands here in front of these children and he tells his people to go train them in such a way that they will see me as the king that I am and as the God I think I am. You want to change their mind so that they esteem me in a way that is beyond logic. That's the future for at least hundreds, if not thousands of children who grew up hearing that there is one God, Jehovah is his name. He is sending a Messiah to save mankind. You worship only that God, and Jehovah is a jealous God. These kids were taught that way. They now end up in Babylon. Their parents' worst fears have happened, and they begin to be brainwashed. Out of the hundreds of young people that are brainwashed, four stand out. We come back to the passage. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. And there were among these children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This is no coincidence that they're from Judah. This was the kingdom in which there were many of the royal lineage in. Verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, he gave name to Daniel, of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Changing all of their names from names that gave glory to Jehovah God to names of pagan gods. So at the very level of their names, they changed their names to make their names such that in even calling them by name, they were giving glory to a pagan god. 
We use nicknames all the time. Now, you may not do it as much in your house as I do. I do it with all of my kids, and all of them have a nickname at some level. At this point, um, I call Karis, who was up here a little bit ago, Red, because she has red hair. And so I, I want to start calling her Rocky Top, because it's more Tennessee orange. But anyway, uh, so, so Red is Karis. And then Tinsley, T, she, forgive me, I shouldn't say this publicly. She used to be the sweetest baby we had ever had. She kind of got off of that for a little while. She'd been struggling when teething started. But, but we used to, she was by far and away the sweetest baby we'd ever had. So she was Sweet Tea. So I have Sweet Tea and Karis is kind of what their little nicknames are that I call them. But they are descriptive of who they are. When Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's names are changed, it is now pagan worship and calling them by name. As a parent, again, you look at this and you go, man, here's all of these kids. All of godliness has been taken away from them. And as a parent, you go, how can my child stand and do what's right? We don't know exactly how old they were. I would have to imagine they're fairly young. The younger they are, the easier they are to train and to redo their brains and their minds. Continuing on. They gave them these names in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And we know that Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they all go along with Daniel. As a parent, all things being equal, Daniel's parents never know any of this. Not, not this side of eternity. Daniel's parents, never, Daniel's parents may, may well have been dead at this point, okay? How proud would they have been? Out of thousands of kids who knew better, their son and these three other boys stand up and do what's right. Now you want to go back and start talking about as a parent, what are the responsibilities that I have? When I talk about being a good steward, what is it that I want? I want that when I'm gone, when I'm not around to influence, that my kids stand and do what's right. And that's a challenge. And when I say that, it's, look, kids are kids. I, I, I never, if, and I thought the, the little ones did great this morning, if they had all been screaming, that wouldn't have shocked me at all. Because they're kids. Kids do these things. I mean, it's what they do. Kids get themselves in trouble. They misbehave. They are silly. They have Look, all of these things I understand. I'm not asking any child to be perfect. But when I'm gone and my kids are raised, I want them to have a determination to stand for the Lord even when I'm not there. So how do you do that? How do you get to that place? If we could have Daniel's parents, Hannah and I, Azra and Michelle's parents come in and do a little parenting conference for us, that'd be great. Uh, I mean, I would love to have some of their input as to what they did to help have this ingrained in their children's heart. But here are some biblical principles that I believe that can help when it comes to this matter of getting your kids to walk with the Lord. First of all, prioritize godly character. Prioritize godly character. We live in a world that puts emphasis on the wrong things. So when you look at a child and you look at their behavior, there is a myriad of aspects in their behavior. 
What are you going to put the emphasis on in their behavior? Are you going to put emphasis on their appearance? They will know it if you do. Are you going to put emphasis on their talents? They will know that if you do. If you put emphasis on other kids' talents, they will quickly recognize that in their own lives. If you want that one of the most important things is that your children have godly character even when you're not around, you have to place emphasis on godly character. You have to prioritize it. Always praise character over talent. Always praise character over talent. The system is so faulty geared towards this. All right? And look, I'm not a t-ball parent. Everybody gets a trophy parent, okay? I'm not that. So I recognize that there are winners and losers, and I think it's as important for a child to learn how to lose as it is for a child to learn how to win. Both of these are character traits you need. I teach my kids all of the time, there is always someone better than you. That, that's just the reality. There's always someone who is better than you at something you're doing. It's just the way it goes. If you praise talent over character, you do it in subtle ways. When a test is taken and an A is obtained, the praise goes for the A. Well, don't you want your kids to get A's? Well, yes. Didn't you like getting A's? Yes. But if all I do is praise the grade and not the character of getting to the grade, then the grade becomes all that's important. So what does that mean? That means I'm a junior in high school. I'm sitting there as a junior in high school and I'm in a class that is an easy class to me. It just was legitimately an easy class to me because of the way the education process had gone. I was actually taking another class that was much more on my level and this was kind of behind and for whatever reason, it's just the way schooling went. So I took a test. I turned my test in. The class hour is 40 minutes. I take the test, it takes me about 15 minutes. I walk over, I turn it in, put it on the teacher's desk. The teacher knows the class. She knows me. She walks out of the classroom and stands outside by the rail of the classroom for the next 20 minutes, never coming back in the room. The kid next to the desk grabs my test off the desk, copies the answers off of my test, passes it on to the next kid. Copies answers off of my test, passes it on to the next kid. And it goes around the room as everyone's copying the answers off of my test. When it's time for the class to end, the teacher comes walking back in. My test is now back on the desk. Everybody else's test with the same answers. The A was what was important. The A was what was important to the teacher. She knew what was going on. The character wasn't important. I would rather my child fail a test but have character than get an A on a test because they have no character. Grade's not the most important thing. When you put an emphasis on talent over character, you develop in your children an ambition to accomplish something that they may or may not be gifted towards. Daniel was obviously gifted. When you look in the passage, it says to find out those that are knowledge and understanding in science, such as have ability to stand before the king. There's no doubt that Daniel had natural, God-given talents and abilities. But somewhere along the line, his parents had taught him that his character of standing up and not eating the portion of the king's meat was more important 
than the talents that he had. Later on in the passage, he stands before the kings and he's found to be much wiser than everyone else. When you're in school, you tend to know where you rank among your classmates. You know who in there is smarter than you. You know which ones that you're probably smarter than in that subject, in that class at that point. Daniel was not an individual who didn't have an understanding of his own ability. What he understood was his character was more important than his ability. When we are given gifts from God, we nurture them, we develop them to the very best of our ability. We take those gifts and we continue to use them for God's glory. Recognizing that what we have is God-given and it can be taken away in an instant. Character is what is important and we must emphasize it. Daniel was a young man who, though he was gifted, he had been guided to walk in truth. His talent was not do everything for this. And we see it especially now in our culture in sports. If you're talented in a sport, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what kind of character. It doesn't matter if you cheat. I had a friend, this is 25 years ago. I had a friend who was a good baseball player. When I say good, he wasn't professional level. He was very good. He said, oh yeah, I go to this school, and at my school, I have to take two classes a day, and I get to do baseball-related stuff the other six classes. What? He had a talent, and his talent superseded his character. Now, he ended up dumb. No, I'm just kidding. He, he was a smart guy. But he, he'd lost out on an opportunity because giftedness robbed him, really, of developing his own character. Daniel was guided in such a way by his parents that he hit the mark. An unguided missile is a worthless missile. The other day, I had an opportunity to talk to uh, an Air Force pilot father, and he was telling me about his son. His son had been going through a training exercise, and they had a new missile system that they were launching and practicing. In the test, he had to fly his plane one direction at about 600 miles an hour. Two miles above him, there was a drone flying the other direction at 600 miles an hour. If train A leaves it, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, so you got one flying this way, one flying this way. When the drone got two miles directly above him, he had to shoot it out of the sky. Yeah, okay, so you're starting to see that this is not normally the direction missiles fly. He goes hot, lights it up, the missile takes off, banks straight up in front of him, turns around at about 1,400 miles per hour, tracks the drone down, blows the drone out of the sky. He now has a piece of drone as a souvenir. A missile that is guided is incredible. My mind can't even comprehend how you can do that. When you have a child who is guided for God's glory, it is an incredible thing. Do you understand that guidance is more important than giftedness? One of the great verses of scripture, Ecclesiastes 9, 4. For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Potential only matters if it is reached for the right purposes. A living dog is better than a dead lion. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. If it is not guided for God's glory, you miss out on it. Samson was gifted. There is no doubt. He was pre-given his giftedness for God's glory, but he had no guidance, and he wasted everything in his life. Today, we see so often in the lives of pro athletes, those that end up in trouble with the law over and over and over and over. 
Giftedness without character guidance is a tragedy waiting to happen. Every child I have ever met has giftedness. Every child I have ever met has talents. As a parent, my desire is to train those talents for God's glory. Not to just train those talents. My dad-in-law was talking one time, and, and it was, you know, a connection, a friend of a friend. And their child had grown up in church and was now singing on one of these TV competition shows. And the child was singing, and the way that they were behaving on these shows was anything but Christian. And one person said, man, I bet their parents are so proud. My dad-in-law said to me later on, he goes, I don't know how proud I'd be. Look, you love your kids, I understand that. But it was a talent that was not guided. We want to see our children's talents guided and used for the Lord. Write a list of character traits that you want your children to possess. If they were carried away today into Babylon, what would you want them to be? I would want my children to have courage, to have integrity, generosity, compassion. Teach them to be servants, humble, diligent, and determined. To do this, you're going to have to discover the spiritual gifts of your children. What gift does my child have? What is the gifting that is specific to my child? If I can discover the gifts of my children, then I can help develop those gifts. If I don't know what they are, then I can't develop them. It's true in our lives as well. The problem is, when it comes right down to it, I want oftentimes for my children what I want for my children. I remember talking to a guy one day, and he goes, man, I can't wait to see my kid playing on the PGA Tour one day. I don't know if your kid's good enough to play on the PGA Tour or not. If he is, praise the Lord, and, and I hope he gives God the glory for it. But the reason he wanted his kid playing on the PGA Tour is because he wanted to be on the PGA Tour. He just wasn't good enough. You ask Justice today, Justice, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he will probably come around to say something about, I think I want to be a preacher. Well, why does he want to be a preacher when he grows up? Because his dad's one. Okay, so that, that's why he wants to be one. And that doesn't bother me that he wants that because that's what I do. But I don't want that for him because that's what I do. If that's not what the Lord has for him, that's not what I want for him. And I, you will never hear me put pressure on him to do that. Because I want for him what the Lord wants for him. Now, I can see some giftedness in him. I can see it in all my kids that I don't have. And I'm grateful for that. But you've got to begin to discover the spiritual gifts of your children. Observe their lives. Don't quench their desire. Sometimes kids want to do stuff, and we go, it doesn't make sense. Your kid's been saving up money, and then they want to take their money, and they want to just give it to something. And don't quench their desire to be good. Have your kids ever asked you to do something for someone else? And in them wanting to do something for someone else, really what that means is you're going to have to do something for someone else? And what they're asking you to do, it's wonderful that they have the heart, but you're going, I ain't got the time. Don't quench their desire. Help build that. Help train that. Anytime you see fruit of the Spirit coming out of them, give attention to it. When we look at young people... Do we look for the good in them or do we look for the bad in them? In a school, especially a private school, it's often that we give demerits. You did wrong, you get this punishment for what you did wrong. 
We did this at our school in Northern Virginia. I went to the principal one day. I'd read it in a book, and I showed it to him. He said, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's try it. We started giving merits. When a kid did something right, we rewarded them for right. When, as a parent, you start looking for the right that your kids do, they do an awful lot of it. The wrong screams at you. The right, you got to train yourself to look for. When we train ourselves to look for it, then we can exhort it. Exhort your children in good works. Exhort them. Encourage them. Hey, you're doing a great job. Keep at it. This past year in Olympians, we have all these little prizes, and they get coins, and they could buy stuff in Olympians for the kids. The biggest prize we gave away last year was not something any kid could buy because you can earn points for being there. You can earn points for bringing visitors, for memorizing Bible verses. All of the things that you earn points for are great, but you can earn them. The biggest prize we gave away was not something you could earn. Pastor Jeff took all the kids. He found the kid in there that just had the best character, and he gave that kid the biggest prize in all of Olympians last year. The reason is, is because character's what's important. Exhort them unto good works. Spend time with your children around God and God's word. If you don't spend time together in God's word, it will not be important to them because it's not important to you. Make it work. Bring it together. Put time and investment into the things that are important. Develop their natural gifts. Real quickly. Your child has natural ability. This is not a spiritual gift that they get at salvation. This is natural ability. Encourage them in that natural ability. Now, being good at a video game is probably not their natural ability. Okay, I'm just saying that that, that may not be the area of their natural giftedness. But they may be extremely creative. Encourage them in that. It, It may be that they have an uncanny ability to be empathetic. Encourage them in that. Look for those areas. Encourage them in their creativity, their physical development, and in their academics. Don't shy away from it. It is not at all that we believe that, hey, the only thing that's important is godly principles, so we don't have to worry about anything else. That's not true. We should help our children to develop physically. For whatever reason, that seems to be a lost art in America. It's okay. I remember having to take the presidential fitness exam when I was a kid. And it's not a bad thing to help develop kids physically. To teach them physical discipline will help them with spiritual discipline. Teach them physically. Teach them academically. I was listening to a a Christian preacher the other day, and he said a statement that really alarmed me. He said, in this issue, and it was a modern-day issue... He said, as Christian conservatives, we did not have an answer for this issue. We had given up the academic high ground. And so people no longer respected our opinion on it because we didn't have a reasonable, thought out, When we lose out of our mindset that academically we can accomplish what it is that God has for us, then we lower the standard. And then when people come to Christianity, they look at it as a naive belief instead of a reasoned conclusion. We don't have to give that up. So academics is not something we have to shy away from. There is, and I mean this 100%, there is no academic field of study that does not lead back to God. As a Christian, 
I do not have to be scared of science. I don't. Science exists so that I can understand the world that God created. Science does not prove God does not exist. False science does. But false science can prove anything because it's false. There you go. Okay, you're with me. All right. Develop their natural gifts. Look towards those. Mariah took her first standardized test this year. When she took her standardized test, I was giving the test to her. As I gave it to her, I recognized in her her inability to understand large concepts. Details she could get. Read her a story, ask her what color jacket the kid was wearing, boom, she'd get it every time. Ask her the point of the story, she had no clue. Every night now, when we do family devotions, we have a Bible story we listen to. At the end, the key thought is given. We now pause every night before the key thought. And I make each one of the kids guess what the key thought is. Now, normally, Kara gives Eden her answer, and then Mariah and Justice. And so everyone gets to answer the key thought. And generally speaking, they're fairly close to right every night now. Why? It wasn't because of a great spiritual need to get that truth though I'm grateful they're getting it. It's because academically she couldn't understand big picture. And I wanted her to be able to think that way, so we had to start working at developing it. When we take and we step back and we look at what God has given, we focus on it. We teach them. We train them. We discover their gifts. We develop them. Then we deploy them out into the world. We set them to go out into the world to serve the Lord. I am not training my children to stay home. I'm not training my kids just because I want them to be close to me. I'm training my kids because there's a world that needs the message of Jesus Christ, and I want to deploy them out into the world. Here's the deal. If we don't deploy ourselves out, we're never going to teach them to deploy themselves out. When it comes to children, there are phrases that you'll hear. You'll hear the phrase, don't shelter your children. Let me ask you, if we got notice and everybody's phone started dinging and going off and there was a tornado coming, what would you do? You would seek, some of you, some of you are going, um, I would wake up, I don't know. Okay, no, you, you, if a tornado's coming, you seek shelter. Why is shelter a bad thing? Why do we think when it comes to children, shelter is a bad thing? Look, you ought to protect your children, you ought to shelter your children, but don't isolate your children. You protect and shelter from things that can take them in a direction of ungodliness. But you don't isolate them from the difficulties of life. Look, people always say, I, I don't bring my kids to funerals. I've been bringing my kids to funerals since they were born. I mean, it's just part of being a pastor, I guess. But you bring them to funerals. Why? Because people die. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So it's okay that my kids learn that people die. Does it make them sad when somebody they love dies? Yes, but they understand that this is not the end, and I can't isolate them from death. It's a reality. I can't isolate them that crime happens in the world. I explain to them, we pray for people that have had crimes happen against them, because I don't want to isolate them from the realities of life. But I want to shelter them from things that pull them away into ungodliness. So in that... I need to control their influences. I have to control the influences that come into my kid's life. 
That means everything from not watching the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, if they use words that I don't approve of, which is a case in our house, to getting rid of Daniel Tiger's neighborhood because Daniel Tiger has a rotten attitude and one of my kids started having a rotten attitude after watching it. You say, you really don't let your kids watch Daniel I really don't. I don't let Carol watch it either, for that fact. But it's, look, I don't want negative influences in their life. Why? I need to be the biggest influence in their life. And I want my influence in their life to be towards godliness. And so if I'm going to be the biggest influence, i got to control the other influences. Now, there is another aspect that is unique to me, and I understand that as a pastor. That I want to have control over their influences, and I want to be the biggest influence in their life, but I want the other influences in their life to be great influences. So I have a say in the church that they're a part of. I have a say in the Sunday school teachers that help teach them. I have a say in their children's church workers. Pastor Jeff, Miss Audra are around kids from the time that they are basically three, three and a half years old up through teenage years in our church. And they have a great impact. My son thinks that Pastor Jeff is the coolest guy in the world because he can do a flip. You know, I mean, he, he just thinks the world of Pastor Jeff. My kids love Pastor Jeff and Miss Audra. They're around them all the time. And I'm good with that. Because I don't care if my kids turn out like them because they're good influences. There are other people I don't want my kids around because I don't want that influence in their life. I do shelter and protect them from influence that pulls them away from godliness. I don't isolate them from the real problems of the world. My kids understand that people say bad words. My, my kids understand that there are things that we don't do. There are attitudes. We don't, it, look, it gets embarrassing because there are things you teach your kids and then all of a sudden you're walking in a store and they yell it out loud at the person who's walking by doing the exact opposite of what you... And you're like, oh. But it's okay, I'll take that. Look, ultimately, for the parents in here who were involved today, for grandparents who are in here who have influence that you underestimate, make no mistake, we want to discover gifts in our children. We want to develop those gifts, and we want to deploy them out into the world. And when we take kids and we focus on those, we prioritize godly character. Then, when the day comes, when mom and dad aren't around, they will have purposed in their heart that they will not defile themselves. What more can you ask for for your children? than to have a heart's desire to serve the Lord, even when you're not there. Let's pray. Father, I do not wish for wealth for my children. I do not wish for prosperity in this life. Though, Father, if that's what you choose and their character is such they can handle it, be grateful. Father, my heart's desire is that they would love you and walk with you. And that the things of this life would find them developed in such a way that no matter what happens, their life brings glory and honor to you. And Lord, there will be tragedy. There will be difficulty. There will be bad influence. But I want it to be that I can control that until they are strong enough to deal with it. And Father, the reality is as much as I read and learn and study Father, I know I don't know. I know I don't know everything to do. And I know I get in the way of my children far more than anyone else gets in their way.
So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead me, lead Kara, and that for every other parent and grandparent in this room, that you would lead them to have influence and impact in developing godly character in the lives of our young people. For the Sunday school teachers and children's church workers in our congregation, that they would recognize the incredible privilege and responsibility they have to help steward our young people so that, Father, one day they can stand for your glory. And, Lord, in all that has taken place here today, may we not for one second leave here without a conscious and mindful gratitude that you are the giver of life and that every child is a gift from you and that the privilege to be involved in the lives of young people is a stewardship that is eternal. It is one in which we can lay up treasure in heaven and give us the wisdom to do just that. Father, now as we go over and we head over to the gym for a meal, I pray that you'll bless the food. We thank you for your provision and giving it to us. God, our gratitude is towards you for all that you have blessed us with. But may we leave here today conscious of you and a desire to set an example walking with you day in and day out, each and every moment of each and every day. It is for your glory we ask it. Amen.